Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast on the internet with the science and the screaming to determine what is the single greatest movie of any given year. Tonight is a bit of a bonus show. Actually, it's a bit of a bonus bonus show because we have our eight, things like E.T. that you may have heard of, The Thing, uh, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, John Carpenter's The Thing. We have a lot of <laughs> 1982 movies that are in the bracket. Then we set aside a couple of special ones to do, like Night Shift, because fucking Ron Howard's not going to make a movie where we don't cover it in a year. Then, after we had settled on our Elite Eight and our bonus shows, we were like, we're talking about one particular movie so much. Greg is tearing up every time we mention a particular title, and that title is Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. We are actually going to do that movie. With me as always, are my good friends, Greg. Hello. And Mike. Con. And we did it. We got that out of the way. Should I do the other con when he first sees him? Con. You guys got all, <laughs> all <laughs> both cons out. But because this is a special episode, and I think that in my intro, I sort of made it seem like this is the least special episode. This is a bonus bonus. But because we're going to say it's the specialist of episodes, we have a new friend on the show, and it's Terry. Terry, how are you? Hello, how are you? Awesome to be here, Greg. I'm here. I'm glad to hear that you teared up. Yes. When we were talking about Star Trek, because I found myself tearing up as well, but we'll talk about it. I have a long history with the movie, so, but uh, I'm glad to be in that good company. Well, for anybody wondering why Terry's on here, um, his claim to fame is that uh, Pop Filter used to have a podcast called Popular Opposite, starring Shannon and Taryn. And you married Taryn. Now, yes. did, you, did you marry her because she was on the show and became a superstar? I mean, that's added to the marriage, I guess. You know, <laughs> there's a little more clout in the marriage now. <laughs> so, but no, not originally the reason I married her, but yeah. I have noticed you, though, since that show came out. Shoulders a little higher. Just yeah. a little more proud. You didn't see me before. <laughs> I only met you a few weeks ago. So I you believe... didn't see me before, you know, how you know disheveled I was. Yeah, it was disheveled. I believe in yeah. the traditional definition of marriage. Two people with a lot of clout. <laughs> <laughs> do you promise to share your clout with them forever until death do you part? Uh, Terry, let's get before we get into Star Trek 2. I think this is very important. Um, it's very important for me to talk about me. And that <laughs> is that uh, I have almost no connection to Star Trek whatsoever. Right, you mentioned that. And by that, I have seen the J.J. Abrams movies. Uh, I don't know how much that counts. Like, if you've only seen that and nothing else, are you a Trekkie? Are you a diehard Trekkie? Basically, the diehardiest of Trekkies. Um, so I was nervous going in. Before we get to our thoughts on Star Trek 2, I just want to sort of know where you guys are at with Star Trek before this week. So, and Terry, because you're the guest, I want to start with you. What, what does Star Trek mean to you? Wow. So... I thought a lot about this because I figured we were going to talk about it. So I grew up watching original series uh, when I was, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how old you guys are. I'm young. assuming we're I'm a young. little older than you guys. We're young. Hick, I grew hit. up watching it in reruns. My dad was a big sci-fi fan. So we always watched Star Trek whenever it was on. So I grew up watching that. And was then it, I when also, you were a kid, was it number one, like above? DC, Marvel, Star Wars, everything. Was it your number one? No, I wouldn't say it was no, I wouldn't say it was number one, but it was definitely in the mix. I had toys. I had a phaser, you know, that shot oh, these little yeah. like discs out of it. And I had a couple of the 12 Hopefully inch set like, stun. figures. <laughs> yeah. Set your phaser to disc. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it was cool though. It shined the light on the wall and everything. It was really, oh, really yeah. awesome toy. But um that and then uh yeah, and then around that time when this movie came out, that is when HBO was out. We had HBO. And okay. this movie was on HBO, like, you know, like everything else at the time, like all the time. So I watched this movie like a ton as a kid. So and uh then just growing up didn't really care that much about trek but then when the next generation started yeah i got into that and so i'm a, i'm pretty much a diehard next generation fan like that to me is one of the best shows ever on television hell yeah have you so, gone back yeah. in your adulthood and tried to watch the is it called the tos or just tos that's yeah the, that, the one from the 60s tos yeah. tos yeah. yeah have you tried to rewatch it not like purposefully but I've seen it, you know, here, here and there. <laughs> if it's on, I won't look I away. I think it's like Under in. Rest. I think it's in the like pop culture zeitgeist enough that you catch things here and there. So I mean, yeah, I've seen bits and pieces of. I've never like gone back and actually watched an episode for a while, like a full episode. I haven't done that in a while. But I feel like it's so ingrained that I, like, if I turned it on, it's like my brain is just going to go. I know everything about this already. I don't need to see it again. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but this was the first time I'd seen this movie in a long time. So this was kind of a, a good rewatch as an adult for me to watch this again. Gotcha. So, yeah. But yeah, oh, I I fell out. So yeah, Next Generation, super into. Watched a little bit of uh, Deep Space Nine. Just kind of fell off, and then after that, I kind of lost watch Star Trek contact. Deep Space Nine, yeah. Terry. Now, Mikey, uh, you and I have bonded over so many nerd things, um, and I, I've never, we've never talked about Star Trek before because I don't know anything about it. Have you been hiding this your whole life, like, in yes. our relationship? Like, what is your relationship with Star Trek in general? I think it comes out in the margins. I think Greg and I, everyone's, <laughs> maybe you leave and we just keep recording, Ryan, but I don't think it's, like, news to the listeners. But yeah, Jordy LaForge. I, I grew Mike, up. Mike, uh, Mike, Jordy LaForge. <laughs> Uh, I grew up in a three-channel household, even though uh, I did not grow up in the 1950s. Even though it was 2001. (laughs) So, yeah, my my stepdad was super into TNG, so I watched that all the time. Then deep dove in Deep deep Space Nine, deep dove into Voyager. Uh, You had three channels, but one of them was 13? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) AOC. Not local listeners. Uh, Watched, you know, Star Trek Nemesis, First Contact, Generations, loved the shit out of that. And even then, like... And I'm sure, like, on Nick at Night, uh, visiting friends, I saw, like, Trouble Tribbles and one of the numerous ones where the mission is Kirk fucks a lady. Uh, But have so little connection with TOS. And maybe I've seen the original Star Trek, the motion picture, once in, in like, a hazy pre-memory kind of way. I think that's how how everybody remembers that movie. (laughs) That hazy pre-memory kind of way. Nobody's ever like, here's what this is about. Everybody's like, um... Yeah. So it's the cast. <laughs> right. But for the original show, is it sort of like, I know a lot of people when they see The Godfather for the first time, they're like, I've never seen this, but I have seen this. They're yeah. through so much like uh, pop culture seeping, like we're talking about. I've seen every scene of this, whether it was on a clip show of Godfather movies or uh, like Simpsons, uh, Jane Austen's Mafia, Animaniacs. So that's sort of where you're at with TOS. Yes. Okay. And now we come to Greg. Woo, me! Greg, Star Trek 2, you said, is the only Star Trek movie you really dug into? Well, that had the original cast in it. I have a, a similar story where I got into it uh, during The Next Generation, and I've seen every episode of that multiple times. 
Um, and then I just was never super into the original cast. But then uh, my cousin, who was like, well, if you're going to like The Next Generation, you have to watch this one original cast Star Wars movie. And it was this one. And I think that this is like, the one Dark that Shrek, had you dingus. What have I? What have I been? You said Star Wars Star already. Wars. <gasps> oh no! God, we, have, we have called the FBI. Oh no! I'm gonna get arrested. But uh, anyway, um, but yeah. So and then since in in preparation for this, I watched uh, the episode of the original series that this movie is basically a sequel to, which is the the guy that directed and basically wrote this movie. Quickly watched as many episodes as he could because he never heard of uh, Star Trek. He wasn't really sure what was go- what went on with it. And he's like, I just need a, a bad guy from one of the episodes. And this was, it took him 22 episodes and he finally found his bad guy. Um, and so, but like, I love the ethos behind it. I love the idea behind it. And um, I was a fan of this movie when I saw it when I was a kid, but I wasn't like then like, I'm going to go watch the original series. I was like, I'm going to go back to the next generation. Those are, those are my guys. And everyone I know who I've never seen an episode of the next generation, but everybody I know who has, uh, it's like, I watch things like the wire, the Sopranos, yeah. you know, like really good. It's TV. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but everyone I know who watches the next generation will do it every five years, probably start to finish. It's a lot to do start to finish. I, like my wife and I recently did start to finish. And I thought that, that I don't want to exaggerate, but maybe 13 seasons of that show. Like it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It was on like don't 10 something years, 10 yeah. plus years. Yeah. I've not seen it since I was a child. And what are the Oh you haven't re you haven't rewatched it? I haven't rewatched it. Oh wow. It. It's the weirdest thing. It's the one nerd thing of my life that I'm not like, well, keep going back always. Always go back. Get comfortable. I've just been like remembering it fondly instead of being like, well, that is not good. And how many times have you watched uh, X Men Evolution? X Men Evolution? Yeah. One of the greatest cartoons nobody talks about. Okay, here we go. I should have brought <laughs> this up. A lot, Ryan. A lot. <laughs> uh, the differences between the next generation, we're going to move on. We're going to talk about Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan very soon, I promise. But uh, the differences between the original series, the original cast, and the next generation seem so vast to me. What are, and I'll, I'll go to Terry first, what are the things that uh, blend them? Like what makes Star Trek Star Trek, regardless of who is in the captain's seat? Hmm. That's a really good question. Uh, they are vastly different shows. I think, you know, the original series and next generation, the, yeah, that's a really good question, man. I don't know. I mean, there is a, there is a camaraderie between the cast, you know, that is present in both, you know, there's, there's more than just like, they're not just caricatures, they're characters, you know, like both in both series, um, even though the original series is a lot more, I'd say like melodramatic and, you know, and it's campy, a little more campy, but, um, but there is that kind of bond between the crew that I think exists. And that was just like, really, um, it even became more so with the next generation, like the bond between the crew was really the show for me, at least it was like how those characters were always interacting with each other, going through the things that they face together. And I think that that's kind of a through line. I think they're less different than people say they are, to be honest. I think that like when people think of uh, the original series, they think of it being like swashbuckling. They think of it being horny. They think of it being a little bit more action oriented. I think if you really watch deeply the next generation though, you find that it is a show that's deeply weird, very horny, like from the onset, very horny. um, And still basically dealing with a lot of the same ideas. So I think it's like, the differences are more subtle than people than it's been than has been written into our collective 
memory of it. Well, I, yeah. I think it's that for TNG, the horniness is dispersed. It's not all in the captain. The captain like sits and thinks, and sometimes he's allowed to be horny, but. Dude, there's some pretty horny Picard episodes. Yeah, the only oh, episode of TNG. He was Time's sexiest man of the year, or people's sexiest man of the year, like 1993 or something. I think the only episode of TNG I've ever seen is where uh, he like has this psychic ability to make everybody's <laughs> clothes fall off. Yeah, dude. And if they try to cover it up, Ryan, <laughs> but not before he's seen everything. Yeah, he's seen everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. My... No, I'm, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> But Riker was also very horny. Yeah, that's who I was thinking. Riker was Riker super horny. Deanna Troy was Troy horny. Was super horny. Yeah, Worf was, was horny. It's a horny ass show. It's not just specifically horniness and camaraderie, but I thought it's the diversity of cast, both like as an ensemble, but also each character basically is like a Jungian. Here's how I view the world, and then it's and each series has that crew where each person is a different philosopher and then arguing. And I, I mean that's fascinating to me to hear Mike say it. I don't know if it's fascinating to watch it. Like that, It sounds boring to watch, but to hear Mike say that one sentence that doesn't take... But Ryan, they do it with season. horniness and blaze and phasers. How yeah. about <laughs> you guys said, well, who was horny? And then listed every character on the show. So that uh, is data. actually exciting to me. Data, data actually has a, a horny episode. He he like has a girlfriend for a while. A lady. Chip. Yeah, a lady who wants chip. to... Yeah. We're, we're out of time. I'm going to get to what you guys think about Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. When we we're gonna take a break and then we're gonna come back and introduce the movie to our audience. Bye. Despite being a moneymaker, society seemed to agree that Star Trek the motion picture was a boring ass dud. The studio decided that the move to make was to can Gene Roddenberry's ass, who apparently believed that Star Trek should be filmed sessions of him quietly writing Star Trek episodes. <laughs> The 70s were over, and the heads of Paramount decided that movies needed to not be made by auteurs or be born anymore. Sure, <laughs> this mentality ruined movies forever, but it may have produced the best Star Trek movie, so it was all worth it. Their other move was to hire Nicholas Meyer, an up-and-coming director and novelist who notably had never seen a Star Trek anything before. After convincing Leonard Nimoy to come back after promising a noble death, and convincing living legend and future Frank Drebin headache Ricardo Montalban to reprise his role as Khan from an episode of the original series, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan was underway with an $11 million budget instead of the 45 that was spent on the first one. The plot revolves around Khan, who was left to die on the planet Dune years before Obi-Wan <laughs> lived on it, by Captain James T. Kirk. Khan is able to hijack a starship, steal something called Genesis, which can terraform a dead planet within minutes. Sega. And then, <laughs> then chase Kirk around the stars. Kirk and Khan spend the rest of the movie calling each other on the TV phone and making each <laughs> other show their whole ass. But before we get to Khan and Kirk, we have to get to the Star Trek of it all. Taste Buds, I ask you this. As someone who has seen roughly as much Star Trek as the director of this movie, how does it honor what came before it? And how does it change what came after it? Well, I love the, the whole idea of it uh, to me. The, the first half of the movie feels like very much like um, The Last Jedi, you know, let the past die. Like the, the Genesis is uh, like everything dying and everything being reborn. And that's how the first half of the movie really feels like it's going to stack up. And then maybe even all the way into the end of the movie, like old ways have to die, new ways have to come in. So while celebrating the past, like embracing the new, the newness. And then right at the end, they were like, you know, actually, I don't 
Oh. Maybe this doesn't have to be the end at this all. This might make money. Spock is dead, but remember how he touched his bones face? It says, remember? Like, the, the whole beginning of this movie is like, wow, something is really coming to an end here. And then you can tell where the, fo- the focus group started being like, well, actually, we like the movie. We just want it to end differently because we want more. And then being like, oh, well, maybe instead we can just do the same thing five more times. Let me ask you, Star Trek, guys, a question. Um, because I thought of this and I was proud of the thought. Uh, the first 10 minutes uh, are, it's a bad time for the Starship Enterprise, right? Uh, first of all, uh, Kirk is gone. Unfun one from Cheers is there. The unfun one from Cheers. That, not Shelly Long. Not, not who, Night Shift for Shelly Long. But Kirstie Alley is there, uh, who is still in the 23rd century does not believe in vaccinations. <laughs> um, she's in control of the ship and everything blows up and it goes awry. And it looks cheesy as fuck. Yeah. And then it's like all the cast members get up and they were like, didn't that look dumb? Yeah. Was that saying goodbye to the Star Trek of old and hello to the Star Trek of new? I mean, in a way, except for every other time it's real, quote unquote, it looks exactly (laughs) the same as the Murakashi exercise. Uh, The Kobayashi. The Kobayashi. Yeah, the tilt of the camera and everybody flying all over. Yeah. They did the same thing later in the movie. Running over to the side. Ah! Right. But uh, do you guys think? Let, let me ask you this: Do you do you think that the camera work got different? I, I I was really focusing on was this just going to be a two hour TV episode? The camera work definitely. The, the camera and work. Does gets, the camera work change after the Kobayashi Maru? It definitely does. And this, yeah. set, like that set, is so much smaller. And then this, the the real set gets bigger. I do think there is a, a like a saying goodbye. This movie, I think, makes a very smart choice, which is it's like forget about Star Trek the motion picture. This is a direct sequel to the TV show. We can all pretend like that movie doesn't exist anymore. And I think that so it it is, I think, grabbing the like the 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 screen and saying, no, we're going to expand it now. This is going to be a movie, not a big TV show. I love when movies do that. Right. Like remember when Roger Abbott was like, ignore the two Jakes. This is Chinatown too. <laughs> right. Well, however, though, right after that, right at that scene at the at the beginning when everything blows up and it's like rrr, rrr, the lights come up, then you get Kirk like this backlight you know behind kirk as he steps from the shadows yes and man, we it, know it's, who it is and we it was like bam this is and i was like i mean even that you know that was cool i gotta say <laughs> but it was kind of like this is not gonna be you know your daddy work. star trek yeah yeah for sure and he's presented like obviously like in a very godly way there but i th- that's part of the sh- i felt like that was part of the movie building up to like this is why we can't tell stories about this guy anymore, you know? And then ultimately the movie becomes about like him being very, very human and like having to be human. But I, that initial shot of him is like the way I think the movie was always supposed to go, which is we're going to put this thing to bed here, you know? And do you guys know the myth behind the movie is that this is so crazy to me that this happened in 82 because this feels like 2022, but the script had leaked and Spock was going to die. Yeah. And everyone freaked out. Like, you can't kill Spock from... You can't kill this character from a TV show from 20 years ago. And so part of the whole intro that they do, Spock having uh, an explosion, which basically amounts to, like, having seven sparklers on the 4th of July. And then jumping and falling, that was supposed to make the audience think that not only is Kurt gone, but Nimoy is dead. And then Billy Schatz goes, hey, aren't you supposed to be dead? 
when he sees him. Right. Yeah. Which also works as foreshadowing for the end of the movie. I didn't know that story until well, after I had seen the movie. But there's like, a ton of foreshadowing in this in this movie. I mean, they're constantly the whole first half of the movies foreshadowing the rest of the movie. Like they load up the sure. torpedo that eventually they they bury him in. Like early on, they they like foreshadow that by showing you the whole like torpedo tube. I want to go to Mike for something, and then I'll go to Terry and Greg who have watched more of TOS. But Mike, did this feel like Star Trek to you? Uh, yeah. I mean, the 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 models floating in the air, the jumping in unison. Nothing's more Star Trek to me than jumping in unison, pretending <laughs> we're hurt. That yeah, is dude. so Star Trek. And it, it did that. And I, it's very Star Trek, and I grew up liking Star Trek. But to me, this is just a long-ass Star Trek episode. Yeah. <gasps> There's nothing lifted it up in my mind other than the the time i agree that it is a long episode but it is done very well i have to say like i said i just watched the episode that this is the sequel to and that's not i i i I do disagree with that like the sets are a lot more complicated the movie is a lot more densely packed the shots are more interesting for the what came after like what it did after this to me feels like TNG and Voyager and Deep Space Nine, which were bigger and more intricate. I mean, it's literally shot on the next generation sets. Like they really? they used these, yeah, like that. They reused all of these sets. They repurposed Put them the slightly. Picture sets. Yeah, they like they reused the, when they did the motion picture. Then for this, they reused all those sets because it like I mean, it cost twelve million dollars because they like did things like that space station that they dock in. That's from the original movie. They just flipped it upside down. Like they only got to make this movie because. They could make it for so little, but and then the they kept in the enterprise are the same. They just like put a different gray mat. <laughs> yeah, it's like you turned it. It's like you have the Lego instructions and then you yes. threw them away and you rebuilt the ship real quick. But it helped me out a lot. Like I need a lot of help with movies like this of everyone telling me what's happening and why. Oh, yeah. Uh, with, when Especially when they get into sentences with, that are mostly not English words. Um, so it did help me out a lot. The other thing that I was thinking about, too, is that. Uh, one of the big plans, the entire big plan at the end was for them to say, oh, Khan only thinks in two dimensions. Mm-hmm. And TV sort of does too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the director was like, why don't we not make that? This is the way that like, look, the script is sort of like a long episode and not even in a like a hurtful way. I don't mean that to be derogatory, but it is sort of like uh, one long two hour episode. Why don't we think three dimensional then as filmmakers? And I, I, I can't say that I love the final battle at the end. I think that there are other space battles from around this time that are better. But the whole thing of like, we can move around more than we did before. That I feel in this, I would say in the, like the back three quarters of this movie, I was not with this movie for probably 30 minutes. I was like, fuck, this sucks. Well, so much of it is like, hey, remember this guy? And if you don't, yeah. it's like, you're not getting much out of me for and that. I, I, I fucking gave the TV my the bird. Like, I just, Ryan, I know. I just, I'm, I know. I'm supposed to That's your it, Lord and I'm, Savior. How They're dare an you? American treasure. <laughs> but and the other thing too that uh, I want to talk to you guys about is watching Star Trek. This is the first time I've ever actually enjoyed it, and I think it's because of what I did, not because of what the movie did. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And that's thinking of it like a Wes Anderson movie, where every actor who knows what it's like to be in a Wes Anderson movie just changes their entire acting style. Yes. Mm. And the writing is different, and it's just you have to get on its wavelength, yes. or you will automatically yeah. be terrible. And was this is this the perfect first movie for start non Star Trek fans to be like, look, man, I know it's janky, I know it's like kind of cardboard sometimes, but also if you just accept that, 
this fucking it kind of rules. Hell yeah, because that's like it's got a very highly stylized. I mean, it is a swashbuckling space adventure. So like bro. we are fond of saying that Star Wars is not really sci-fi. This isn't really sci-fi. This is just like old school ship combat. Yeah, I mean, this, this is sort of Errol Flynn. Well, it's like very militaristic. I think that was kind of done on purpose oh yeah but their uniforms the the blowing the whistle the you know the intercom thing you know all of that was it was much more militaristic than star trek is presented in a lot of other senses so that was um that made it cooler even like I sort think. of like tricky yeah. battleship to battleship fighting yeah like Always, why yeah. why in the world wouldn't these ships be aircraft carriers at this point in fact the enterprise right. is named after an aircraft carrier but if you hearken back to like frigate to frigate combat which is really what this whole thing is about more than space warfare then the whole show makes a lot more sense to you or the whole movie makes a lot more sense to you right uh and, and honestly like the militaristic thing i don't know what star trek fans thought about that because is the original series pro army and military and we should know like what what are they even doing? Are they explorers? Are yeah, they they're a- going around exploring. Yeah. But see, it's like it's hard because the essence, obviously, of storytelling, Ryan, you probably never heard this, is conflict. Uh, and so the problem is they're always going into conflicts and trying to outsmart solve them. The yeah, and I think what what I think what the like white Christians. I think what the director slash writer, because he really wrote the script, but he just had to do it so quickly that it could give him the right credit. What he was trying to do was say, like, okay, where does that meet? its boundary where does that sort of optimism meet its boundary and it meets a boundary when you meet someone who is going to naturally just be violent and that's Khan. Khan has to conquer Khan has to be violent he has to rule and so then you necessarily have to become a little militarized to deal with that and so i think that that's why the movie takes a more militaristic tact because he because the, the the director is saying what would really challenge this like because utopian them, way of life them going down to a planet that's like everything is cool and then just standing like standing there for an hour on that planet, like a cruise docks at a city for an hour. Like that's not compelling storytelling. Yeah, you know, be like, oh, I've been watching have... a lot of below deck, and that's kind of what that does. So <laughs> it's pretty compelling. That's the animated, like no, no, that's oh no, I... decks. below that's deck the is the, the super yacht reality. Yes, show. okay. <laughs> and I mean, was there was there a villain, like a villain in every TNG episode? Not no. There not wasn't a villain in every now, sometimes they were like sometimes they were like character episodes you know it was like but there was often, Data's day or something you know like that there was often but, conflict though like they would go somewhere where they had to try to like negotiate right. a peace settlement between two people right. and then things would sometimes get violent i mean ultimately even the next generation like they fought people a lot like it does yeah. come to that you know Isn't, i mean you're yeah. you're trying to do the prime directive but it doesn't and always so work I was gonna say the federation prime directive is like don't fuck with societies right they're supposed to yeah. don't get too involved but don't they're always setting involved. that aside though it's always like okay we can't get too yeah. involved because the prime directive and then someone's always like you know what damn the prime directive let's fucking and warp out of here i feel like you can see that here where uh savik mr savik kirstie alley uh is the one who's like, we, we shouldn't do this, we shouldn't do this, and Kirk, and then the rest of the older crew is like, look, we've been here before. You're gonna bruise yeah. your knuckles a little <laughs> when you're out here. The stories that we don't tell, because like in school, Mr. Sobic, when we were training you, we were like, peace, peace. But uh, uh, when we're out here, we fucking shit, we fuck shit up all I mean, the time. they do kind of give them yeah. cop training in that like one of the things they all have to go through is they send you onto this mission where the Klingons jump you and kill you, and you have to just be like, Oh yeah, I guess I got myself into a situation where I died, so I have to be, like not do that in the future. Like they do tell them, folks are going to be here gunning for you. 
And yeah. I, I really want to talk about uh, Kirk as cop. So why don't we take a break? And when we come back, let's talk about KVK, Con v. Kirk. Shatner and Montalban do not appear on the same set together. Not even meeting for a drink in the middle of the movie, a la Lieutenant Vincent Hanna and Neil McCauley. Is that heat? That's heat, Greg. Nice! <laughs> <laughs> you did good. Uh, what do we make of Con and Kirk's relationship and of the performances of Ricky Montobs and Billy Shatz? Now I want to separate this. Let's first talk about, let's leave the performances aside. We're going to do character first. What do we, th- what do we make of Kirk and Con? Well, they're they're both they're both kind of sides of the same coin, which is that Khan is a superhuman because he's genetically constructed to be a superhuman. Kirk is just thinks he is just human, but is superhuman in the fact that he like he can't lose. He can read people perfectly. Like he knows what everybody around him is thinking all the time, what will motivate them. And so it really is like the genetically perfected man versus like the sort of culturally nature versus nurture, maybe like the culturally created perfect man. And so that makes their like heading off against each other um, thrilling in that way. Hmm. I think you got this kind of, there's two, you got Kirk who in this movie is shown to be like, he's, he's like, I feel old. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, I'm aging. Uh, He's vulnerable. You know, he's not this like swashbuckler from the, from the original series anymore. Right. And you've got this con who's also old, but has like been more like, uh, I don't know, degraded. And it's like, it's like a, if you took a machine and he built this perfect machine, but then over time, the machine starts to like break down. Yeah, It's like, that's what he's kind of become his, his like his base instincts have become more prominent because I mean, it, it's he lived, lived on where... a desert planet for 15 years and had to like survive. But if, um, you're, if you're younger than him and you have a different idea, not even better, clearly better, but just different idea, then he will fucking kill you. Like he will throw you across the room. That's the kind of boomer. Can I just say boomer sort of <laughs> mentality that we've right. got going with Khan? I, I, I think the, the subtitled movie is important. The wrath of Khan. Cause I wouldn't like, they both get angry, but Khan is pure unthinking wrath. And Kirk is like, I guess, righteous anger where he is still flexible Khan is so brittle and that it kills him. And Kirk is because I think he's thinking about his aging and he's like, he's trying to teach the younger generation. So he's just like, oh, I should, I th- should think beyond just what I want to do right now and think two steps ahead instead of just like, kill you now, right now. That's what makes Khan such a good villain is that uh, it's a little terminatory in mm-hmm. that, like, I seriously won't stop. Like, I really only have one goal. Uh, we have a spaceship. That's cool. We have Genesis, not called Gemini. That's cool. Um, <laughs> We have my people that I'm trying to take care of, but I just want to fucking put a pie, banana cream, preferably, right in Kirk's face. That is literally all I want to do. And because right. his crew tries to, you know, that one guy, I think his name is Joaquin or something. Yeah. He tries to warn, he's like, hey, we've got the Genesis. We got a ship. Out of here, we could do whatever we want. Yeah. Like, no, their no, own no, no, no. He, he present, compresents it like he's tasked. I'm being tasked. This is, a, yeah. this is a test. You know, Kirk is taunting me. It's like he's totally, yeah. It would have been so line. much better if uh, Kirk was like, looked at Khan on the screen. He was like, who? That would have. <laughs> I don't even know who you are. <laughs> that that would have been awesome. See, that's what's, yeah. so, that's what's yeah. so good about this movie, though, because I, at first I was like, what was it that was so iconic about this TV character? But that's not quite what's going on. What's going on is if you are Kirk, if you're Batman, 
if you are any of these really long-lived characters, then yeah, you keep winning. You win and you win and you win. But some of these victories aren't total and those people come back and you you sleep with women all across the universe. And most of the time, it doesn't produce any offspring. But one time, at least one time, it's going to. And so it's like, in this, he confronts the fact that when you have such a long career, when you have so many victories, when you have so many conquests, these are the conquests. These are the these are the blow the, the by blows. You know, this is like the stuff that also accrues when you've done all this. This is like the end of his life, and he still has to deal with the things that he's done, whether or not he was successful when he did them initially. I think having Khan and the son all in the same movie is so interesting. And it sort of shows me who Kirk is of just like, fuck, that sucks. I did that. Anyway, we're gonna move on. We're gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna keep being Kirk forever. Well, that's his his I don't believe in a no-win scenario. It proves that he's he's not this tough guy. It's he has giant blinders on, and anytime he has lost, he's like, nah. For until like <laughs> right. until at this point in his life and career. They're fucking uh, as as far as we know, stranded on an island. And Kirstie Alley is like, how did you win it? And he still has the like the audacity to like smirk and be like, I fucking cheated. We're about <laughs> to we're about to die, motherfucker. And all you can like and- do is still smirk about your your simulation games and that's what's so interesting is uh, in this movie it shows you that kirk has more experience than everyone but everyone has an experience kirk doesn't have right even the most basic cadet has to go through and and actually do the kobayashi maru not the thing that he did that he got commended for even by hacking it but he's never had this experience and in this movie he gets this experience and in that i think not only does he like does something bad happen to him, but something good happens to him because he realizes I can still grow. Like it's awful that I had to experience this loss, but I thought I had everything completely figured out. And now my, the setbacks are something that can be intriguing to me because I can find some way to improve upon myself. And he was hating life and coasting because he oh, thought yeah. he everything and he was an admiral. And yeah. Sp- isn't it Spock? Well, he- is it Spock or Bones? Who's like, Bones. You've ever did is become an admiral. Yeah. <laughs> Although he did have some sick digs. I mean, that like 1982 futuristic big oh, yeah. window overlooking the bay, you know, like that was a pretty <laughs> right by headquarters fireplace and yeah. suburban. Yeah, that was a pretty, but uh, imagine being living the, okay. uh, the set decorator and it's like, look, this has to look futuristic, but also this guy is super into stuff that we have on earth right now. Yes. And the art decoration being like, yes, I yeah. can do that. <laughs> he's really super into stuff that we have in that warehouse right over there. And you actually only have the afternoon to grab it. So, okay. If, if in two, thousand whatever three thousand whatever this movie's supposed to be in somebody hands you a tale of two cities original printing you do not touch it and open it yeah it will crumble into dust you'll be like here hold this for me you take this idiot you put gloves on you put I it sort under of got glass the, i didn't love kirk in this movie in the best way i thought he was so mo- way more compelling than i ever thought he would be uh but i sort of got this impression i looked back at all the trekkies that i had talked to in my life thought about that people who love Picard more are like sort of thoughtful people and people who love Kirk more are incels who act like Kirk and it doesn't work for them in real life. Yeah. I mean that, and see like the the cool part about Picard was that you think that there is no Kirk in him and you think that Riker, his, his second in command is the Kirk. Kirk. What you don't realize though is that Picard has, has Kirk 
Oh yeah. In him, but he has tempered all of that. Mm-hmm. He's still horny. He's still a swashbuckler. He's still an adventurer. He can still read people. He can still motivate people, but he has also turned himself into a more staid, calm, so the stoic 90s version of a man. It's yeah, the restraint. Yeah. It's you know what it is? It's all that passion, all that rage, all that ability, but then controlled. And it's that it's control therapy. that is so beautiful about Picard because you can see that it's not that he's not human. He's exceedingly human. He just has manifested this control that we all dream we could manifest in ourselves because we think we could get the best out of ourselves if we had it, you know, if we could somehow just develop that one element. I mean, do you guys see in Kirk, whether it's Star Trek 2 or the original series or other movies of just being like almost like a Tim Allen character, which is weird because <laughs> Tim Allen played him in a movie later, uh, just being like, fuck, that sucks. That happened. That sucks. Anyway, we're moving on and we're, we're going to go about things the exact same way. Yeah. I mean, he, he has the gall to say early on uh, after Savik is dealing with, with the exercise and he's like, well, this exercise is important because how we deal with death is at least as important as how we deal with life. Just parroting. Cause later he's like, I've never had to deal with this shit before. <laughs> He's had yeah. a <laughs> yeah. Also, episode. Yeah, and he's wa- he's walking around with a blood splattered handprint oh. on his chest. You know, it after this like guy grabs him, is like, yeah, it's a lobster, bit, whatever, right? You know, and yeah. he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he just goes on with like making jokes about like you know what else is going on. But you see, I think that's a that, that is yeah. kind of a mark of his maturity in this is that you can tell he is very um, image conscious early in the movie, but he like in this, he like pulls down the flap when he gets uncomfortable. He wears it even after it has that crew members blood on it. He puts on the glasses. Like he loses a little bit of that vanity that we associated with young, uh, with young Kirk, that young Kirk always had to look as, as handsome as possible. We see him grow in this and he's like, well, no, I don't want to just be the image. I need to also be human. And those glasses, that's like, we asked the 23rd century best scientist yeah. to design the oldest man glasses yeah. in history. He should look like Ben Franklin <laughs> yeah. in these fucking glasses. What, well, they both fucked a lot, so that makes sense. Uh, yeah, dude. It's the father of our country, right? More ways than one. I don't know how Kirk Bucker grows country. through the rest of these movies, the, the original cast movies, but it's interesting because in Star Trek Generations, he's still wrestling with this same stuff of who am I in the world? What is my legacy? How did I get old? And he didn't want to in this movie. He was like, no, that's probably 20 years away from me. And the director was like, also he wasn't really old in this movie. I mean, right. You know, his, his wig says otherwise. That's the thing. Like they, they were trying to kind of ride two horses with this movie. And I think it was just a matter of of the, over the evolution of the movie. They had to change what they wanted it to be, but this was seriously supposed to be like the last roundup. Like, all right, we're putting this whole thing to bed. And right when they were supposed to do that, they were like, unless could we make a whole bunch more money off of this? Also guys, I did some research. The next movie is called uh, Star Trek. The search for Spock directed by Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. They basically, they seriously had to tell fans. No, Spock is coming back. They got Leonard Nimoy to be in the movie by saying, we will kill you. And then without telling him, they filmed all this extra stuff. And then they're like, the fans really want you to come back and be in the movie. uh, Nimoy directed three and four. And my favorite part is, do you know who directed five? Kirk? William Shatner. He was like, (laughs) fuck that shit. No, it's my turn. (laughs) I'm going to do it. I'm the cap. Let's get to the performances. Um, And let's start with Ricardo Montalban. Uh, who I have been, I have heard about my entire life as being one of the all-time villains, and I have to say that the, although this movie was slightly disappointing on some levels, 
this performance was not. I fucking loved it. I thought this Hell, created yes. all DC and Marvel villains of our lifetime. This yeah. was like, you know what? How much is that paycheck? Holy shit. Let's just go for it. And then he lifts a guy above his head. <laughs> yeah, dude. And just goes yeah. to town. Apparently, he was not sure how to play this role anymore. He had been like so ossified as the Fantasy Island guy. And he went back and watched this episode over and over and over again. And like the character kind of woke up in him. But he is like the most swashbuckling part of this. I, mm-hmm. I totally see him as like a, uh, I know he's a Mexican actor, but like as like a Spanish captain on, on a galleon or something. Yeah. And he's just a so, king. so, yeah, yeah. So fanciful, but so dangerous and so smart. And just like, the magnetism in the in the episode that he's from of the TV show, like he the character is so magnetic that a woman falls in love with him basically the first second she sees him. I don't know. The camera does too, though. Like it doesn't seem that improbable. Like this guy, how old is he when he made this movie? The actor's like late 60s or 70s, right? Oh, mm-hmm. Jesus. Are you serious? Yeah, dude. And he like he's looking fly as hell. Obviously, still very strong because that guy, that was a big suit that guy was. In. Yeah, well, there was something about read about like they there's a myth that his chest was fake like his mm-hmm. his actual chest was a chest plate yeah it wasn't it was his actual chest but it was like for that age and that he, i mean you can see it move right. in a couple yeah. of scenes it moves in such a way where yeah. it's obviously an older dude's chest but i was yeah. talking earlier about the whole wes anderson thing about knowing about what movie you're in right doesn't he know more oh than hell yeah. yes one oh, yes more yeah. than the star trek characters Yes, what movie you're in. He he's in a different movie than they are. He's he's taken it all the way. Like he's, I mean, there's the melodrama, he's right? A like, <laughs> yeah, he's going for it, man. And he and it's like that's what makes it so good. And it's like I don't know if you can imagine. It, th- that's pro- that might be why, like he and like the rest of the cat, like Kirk and the rest of it, just kind of separated. They're never together in scene. He would just like swallow everybody yeah. with that performance. <laughs> Too you know? much energy. So yeah, but that the way they did it with him being it kind of encapsulated in his own little world and that it worked. You know, I think if you if you told me he was a theatrical actor who never was on TV or movies, I'd believe you. Because this is like pure old Shakespeare. We don't have microphones. I will make the back <laughs> of the house hear me. And it, it fucking works. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. like pushes the movie into a completely different realm. I think it would be a good movie even if he were not as compelling. But with how compelling he is, it's just perfect. I mean, I think that like, I think this is the Michael B. Jordan template for Killmonger. Like, just go a little bit more than the hero have a little bit better uh i don't know like argument and then i'm just gonna steal the movie yeah i was thinking thanos but you know what if there's more swagger in it and so it is a little bit more killmonger and then having a uh, a crew like all these people behind him and you're like yeah i get i get why you're following and he's so good with them that's like like uh yeah i mean he like throws things at them yeah until he picks them up and throws them across but like he does he does have a lot he has like a total control over them i guess that's what i mean by he's good is that he's got a total control over them all right let's get to the uh elephant in the room willie shatz billy shatz now i had i don't think i've ever seen him act before i've seen a couple of snl skits i've seen a couple of family guy episodes this is sort of it for me i was kind of impressed he didn't do that thing where he was like now there's something on the way. Another wing. word. Some right now. Was he, was he still terrible? No, he I has... feel, <laughs> no. I I feel like I mean part of what we're talking about with Star Trek, especially the the old Star Trek, 
is over time, everything became so exaggerated. So it burns in your memory that performance, right? That like, you can't do, you know, like that everybody kind of does comedically. And same with everybody, same with Spock, same with everything's been done and done and done. So you get this, what we've been talking about, right? Like Kirk is this horny swashbuckler, you know, really over the top acting kind of guy. And I mean, again, I haven't watched an old episode in a while, but he probably was to some extent, maybe not to the degree we've all made it. But in this movie, I mean, for me watching it, he was even as opposed to Ricardo Montalban, he was kind of the MVP of the movie. Like he was doing some really good stuff in the movie for me. I kind of think so too. I I got in a fight with my wife that night. Not like a throwing (laughs) bases fight. Just like, I thought that uh, he was better in this than he was in the song Rocket Man. And she thought yeah. that he was a better singer in Rocket Man than he was an actor. Okay, but how about in Common People? Common People. Oh, no. that's, holy that's shit, dude. That's his top. That's his that top. is the right. best. Besides Tech War, that is the right. very best thing he ever But was he better life. than Leonard Nimoy singing the Ballad of Bilbo Baggins? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. That's the real question. I think uh, a moment that encapsulates Shatner is, is Greg's very quiet con. The, the first his first yeah. time where he does it quietly you can see him regretting the last 20 years of his life and he's just like oh no young me is about to kick now me in the ass because i did <laughs> not really do what i should have done then like and th- th- there's so much regret and weight in that con i love how the thing that happened is they left him on a planet that should have been fine but an adjacent planet blew up <laughs> Man, I have to say, yeah. I, I guess, I guess Billy Shad should have like gone back and checked. That is what Khan says that like he never even came and checked on us. But like, were they really supposed to guess that the next planet over was going to explode? That doesn't happen that much. That's a pretty rare thing for a planet to do. See, I thought it was super rare and they are super common, and they were surprised that it had any effect on their planet. It's like, oh, planet. Oh, what happened to our planet? Stuff's getting <laughs> shitty over here now. A whole bunch of that planet came over here and ruined everything. I just, I kept watching Kirk, thinking, alternating between, this is why I hate Trump, and now I know why people are. Oh Trump. shit! Wow, that was that was like an upsetting thing to say. It's like <laughs> slowly washing over me. I'm sorry. We're gonna take a break, and when we come back, the last conversation about Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Ever. <laughs> Taste buds. I ask you this. What does this movie have to say about death or aging or legacy? We have for the first time Star Trek people getting old. And Kirk at this point is or age, which is cool. <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of like my god i have to wear glasses or uh he sits on a uh stool and says i can't believe that i missed my son's life (laughs) sort of in a way of like and i may not have another kirk bitch you'll have another i promise you that (laughs) uh but what is this movie what do you guys feel from this movie about like this is it for this cast like we're done here this is this is how death works it would have been so fun if the movie stuck that out you know i i I think like it it would have been so beautiful in a lot of ways. And just the very fact that the next movie is called The Search for Spock, it feels like kind of a betrayal of so much of what would have made this movie. I loved it. And this was my favorite viewing of it. I watched it twice. 
for this episode. I was totally into it. New appreciation for everything about the original cast and stuff. But I do have to say, if it had been them really, you know, breaking the staff and burying the book, like that would have been amazing. And not that none of the other movies are worth watching or existing or whatever, or not that people shouldn't get that cash when they can. But it, this was shaping up to be like the ultimate end of something and to be so beautiful. And the fact that right at the end, they nose up and you can just feel that instead, everything that the movie was kind of standing against is what's going to happen to it. It's going to become a zombie, basically. The credit said uh, Spock will return. Yeah. Star Trek 3, the search for Spock. And then Spock came up and he was like, I'm not dead. I'm coming back. It's me, Spock. This is an end of credit scene. You'll get used to these in the future. Where I'm from, Spock. <laughs> uh, Mike and Terry, what do you guys think about the constant? I need to sit down. I need to wear bifocals. I need to uh, adjust my wig. Yeah. Again, he was not that old. You know, <laughs> it was like I, I, he's probably younger than I am now in this movie. You know, so I it, it was like it was for a point, right? It was to tell the story. So. It was okay in that in that sense, but looking at it through that kind of lens, it is kind of a little bit. I mean, Bones, I would believe, right? If Bones was walking around like, I need to sit down for a minute, I can't keep up, and like I can't see the screen, yeah. But I'm just skinning me. Yeah, Kurt, yeah. This is this is the first one where he was literally just a skeleton, yeah. and so the name Bones really made sense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think what why why it worked for me is it's not that he is actually old but he is done thinking he's invulnerable. And so now he's Mark. like, my, my knee never used to twinge. I used to be able to just do whatever I wanted. And now I, my knee does twinge. And, and he's used to uh, people like Mr. Savick throwing themselves at him. Yeah. And she would she never consider not. that. Even though she wore her seductive outfit in the elevator, she was not actually Man, into him at all. The movie could not decide what it wanted to do with like women and feminism and the future. Like the show is out and out just sexist like very very outwardly sexist all the time and the movie it was like there is there's kind of moments where the male cast members look at each other like ah, it's not like it used to be huh <laughs> and, and, and like, like you we know, do now and when she runs into go into the turbo lift with him the energy of the scene it's not like the movie so doesn't seem to know what energy it wants and he doesn't seem to know what to do and i think that that is a sign of his like aging right it's like at one time he would have tried to get with her, even though that's inappropriate. And so now he doesn't quite know what to do with her. Otherwise, well, I, th I think that was actually going on on the set because I was reading that somebody wanted Christy Alley to kind of like, you know, be a little sexed up. And and somebody else was telling I think the director was telling her, no, 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 don't do that. But somebody else, a producer, somebody was telling her, kind of pushing her it's to go more sexy. Yeah. Yeah. So they were, there was probably, that was probably coming out in that. Yeah, totally. You can see that negotiation, like on a scene by scene basis. Because yeah. after that turbo lift scene, she's basically in the jacket the rest of the movie. Like right. there's never that right. energy again. And there's and, a lot of stories about William Shatner talking about how like, well, why do, why do I have to reach for my glasses at this part? Or like, why do I have to like. <laughs> well, he wanted to do it basically like young Kirk still. Uh-huh. You know, because it like like Terry keeps but saying, your it, face looks like that. It only been fifteen years, so I could see him like kind of like Tom Cruise feeling like I could still. We don't have to play it that I'm old. We don't have to play it that I'm the same age. But like, we don't have to play it like you know. <laughs> I can't go on the starship anymore. Those, are, those days are behind me. Yeah, so I, I would. Like, if, they, 
if they could have given it a little, because we don't know, like if it was a case of like, okay, maybe something happened to Kirk in the intermediate years, right? Like something happened that kind of made him like take a step back and be like, man, maybe I'm not cut out for this anymore. You know, maybe I need to take a break. If something had happened that made him be where he was when this movie started, it might've made a little more sense, but, but we're kind of left with this, like, dude, you're like, you know, you're in great shape. Like, you know, you still got it. Like you're way younger than Picard was. It burns, you know, going on and everything. It's like, come on. So I think it's that he's climbed through the ranks. And he's in this position that just because he's been around long enough, he's, he's good Top at the Gun one Maverick. Thing. It, I, I've heard of this. I, I don't know. He's good at this one thing, and so they're like, "You should do this other thing." And he's not good at that thing necessarily. And so it's the when he gets back into the captain, he hasn't been in this chair for fifteen years, and so now he's he's realizing all of those things. Like I don't think I'm that old. I'm thirty. I just turned thirty-six, but I'm definitely thinking about death way more than I did six, seven years ago. So this is totally believable to me. No, it, it it is Top Gun Maverick in that like you're good at your job. We have to promote you. Yeah, and then to you... where you don't do your job. Working in restaurants my entire life, this was it. Of like, oh, you're an incredible server. Let's make you a manager. Oh, now we've lost you as a server. And you're kind of shitty as a, a manager. terrible manager. <laughs> so now this restaurant fucking sucks. Doing coke all the time was great when you were a server because you had energy for days. <laughs> but now when you're trying to make schedules, it's not working for us. All right. Uh, Genesis as an idea. You know what? I want to talk about Genesis as a computer program. Guys, that video that we watched in 1982 of Genesis terraforming a planet, what did we think? I I thought I was pretty impressed. I was impressed with the effects on this movie, especially considering they made it for like $15. Like but the computer first computer fully computer animated sequence in a movie, honestly, this gave birth to Pixar. Shit, yeah. really? Looks, shit that comes out by Marvel looks worse than this every day. Yeah, because this very much did less is more. We can yeah. hardly we can hardly render anything, so we're not going to try to go that bold. And it's, I thought it came out looking impressive. Yeah, I agree. I mean, William Shatner, having never watched this video, pretended like he watched this video, very shocked as he got <laughs> up with his glass of fucking bourbon and tripped over <laughs> his robe. So, no, I thought it looked really good. I was I was imp- way more impressed by this than the spaceship battles in Act 3. Yeah, that, I, I think they got tapped, dude. I think, like, they seriously, they got to that last battle and they're like, we can't make this look three-dimensional. There's going to be a line about how we're... That we think three dimensionally, but we can't make this Nebby look look three dimensional at all. One of the biggest bummers is that they're like three dimensional, and so they go below, and you're like, oh, they shoot him down. He doesn't expect that from up, and no, they rise back up. So they are yeah, two, two dimensions. dimensions and shit. Yeah. What? Well, if you, I, if you like that, read Ender's yeah. Game. That's really about three dimensional. Yeah, I just realized Ender is six year old Kirk from this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think so. Maybe okay. So I'm gonna age myself a little bit but so growing up watching my dad was in the military watched a lot of war movies so watching movies that had like naval battles and those kind of battles and stuff in them right are you know they're just slow paced it's like a big ship lulling around shooting stuff so for me it was like you know not having seen at that point in my life too much of what we see now which is like just space is like zipping around everywhere laser bolts <laughs> ships are like looping around you know just warp speed everywhere so it's not that wasn't around as much yet so seeing it like presented as a na- or like kind of like a real quote-unquote yeah. naval battle the tension of that for me was kind of like cool 
where I was I, like, I agree. Yeah. Where, and they can't see each other and the thought, you know, and the thing is like, where is he? And then like, they're the way they filmed that all given that they were making it this kind of slow paced battle and they yeah. actually come across each other, like real ships and shoot from the side, like a cannon would, mm-hmm. you know, I thought that was kind of cool. It, and it I, built some tension. I just wish they had yeah. saved more money for it. But yeah, like, in all honesty, yeah. like the only other movie that I've seen for the first time in this season is Das Boot. And that's what this reminded me of. I was, I was like, gonna say that's what I wrote down. I was like, if da- this is kind of like Das Boot. You're sitting there yeah. and you're like, what the fuck is I, we have all the tech in the world. We don't know what's happening. We're just gonna sit here and just go like fuck, 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 fuck. And then I remember that guy, the right hand man of Khan, just sitting there like, uh, all our shields are down. <laughs> and that's that's from Das Boot. Like, yeah, just in the yeah. movie. But I maybe it's maybe I wish we watched this first. But Das Boot was so good, and the tension was so real. And this was, I guess, where I don't want soap opera style drama. I felt zero tension, and it was all goofy. You know what it is? Bullshit. I think Mike. I think Das Boot did a good job of explaining exactly what the parameters were, yeah. and we don't really know what the parameters are for space combat. And they kept, for instance, saying we can't see each other, but then for the audience they would show us where they were and i think that kind of broke immersion a little bit because right. we constantly mm. like the, the, if the characters can't see something it's hard when the audience can mm. to really communicate sure. to them what all the participants are going through they're going through a dense cloud that cloud is not represented in any way for the audience it's right, constantly no. just a two-dimensional surface that they're on and so they just didn't render it totally well i think but i do i also agree with the, with the concept that it is it is thrilling, but they just didn't totally communicate the message, I don't think, mm. to the audience. I will ask this, though. What is scarier than space lightning? That's like you're in the middle of space. You're on a new planet. And oh, yeah, dude. Thunder and lightning everywhere. Anytime on the next generation where there's space lightning, it always hits the ship while somebody's in the holodeck. And it always oh. is like the first thing the holodeck Except does the is holodeck. like, I'm going to fucking real. kill everybody inside <laughs> me right now. Everybody's like, yeah. Wait, how many episodes? Dude, they, so okay, many. they have a holodeck and like several times Wait, per season. Like a, is that like a danger room? Okay, it's like a danger yes. room, but everything is imaginary. But it could kill you. But the first thing they do is they're like, holodeck. Don't kill anybody. And Holodeck's like, right, don't kill anybody. But then if anything malfunctions, no matter how small on the ship, the first thing the Holodeck does to go, you know what? I'm going to start killing people. (laughs) And even though that happens multiple times, they're still like, yeah, but it's a Holodeck. That's where Riker gets his balls off. (laughs) I get to hang out with Sherlock Holmes. All right. I've learned that everyone is horny, but Riker is the horniest. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Okay. The first season of Star Trek The Next Generation, like four episodes in, the first time they ever talk about the holodeck, the holodeck, that same episode, Riker literally asks if he can fuck it. He asks, <laughs> he asks the, one of the a hologram lady, just how far can this simulation go? He tries to fuck the holodeck right away. So that's the most realistic show of all time. Honestly, yeah, like that. I, that's Pretty why much. I say it's such a horny show. Like it's not. It's in no way less horny. Like it just. It's, it's kind a, of it's fancy. The first appropriately horny show. Yeah, dude. <laughs> All right, uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, this movie was actually nominated for Oscars, but we're going to give it actual awards. All right, gentlemen, it's time for awards. We'll start with you, Terry. What is your recommendation? If you watch Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and you want something else to watch, read, listen to, or do? Mm. <clears throat> I thought about this, so I took it kind of a more serious route, I guess I would say. So we mentioned Das Boot. That's a great one to watch. Um, Lawrence of Arabia. 
Hell I'd yeah. say because there's just like this um, Hunt for Red October. That's another good one you could watch. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Hunt for Red October with uh, Sean Connery and Alec Baldwin. Yeah, don't take all the recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> but like that, those have that like um, uh, there's like that that tension of the the battle, right? Where it's like you've got this like you know, everybody's looking at the screen intensely. Yeah. This kind of thing. It's like, you know, those, those kind of have that same vibe. You know, I think of Lawrence of Arabia where there's a scene where they're waiting to attack this village, you know, and, and there's this tension of like, are he's, he's, he going to let us do it. You know, is he going to let us slaughter them? You know? And then Lawrence is like, no prisoners. And then they just like charge in and there's this huge battle. So just those kind of like, if you're, if you're into something that's like that, those are some really good. And I'd say, you know, you know, objectively speaking, much better movies in that sense. Yeah. I would you say know? the Lords of Arabia so, is better than Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just not be rude. Okay. I, I apologize. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a perfect one of just like, I didn't know this was going to be in this movie of like, we don't have money. So instead of, like half-assing aliens or whatever we're just gonna build tension and just show two psychopaths this is a movie about two psychopaths not just one mike what do you got for wreck that that's the route i went is the the cat mouse cat and also cat two psychopaths against each other where throughout the movie they're not on screen together but they're they're constantly on the phone saying riddles and figuring out riddles and trying to figure out what the next one's going to do the x versus it's sever <laughs> it's die hard with a vengeance oh okay <laughs> the x versus sever of the 90s <laughs> uh, that's for whatever reason that's when i was thinking i was like what what does this remind me of and i could not get over the scene with mclean on the payphone with whatever the bad guy's in and it's from the revenge from like that was part of it too is like the the bad guy in die hard with a vengeance is all about like how dare you you did this to me and my family so long ago because he's gruber's brother uh so it reminded me of that and he's not he's or if he is he's just like i just want the gold that's that's all i want that's i just want that gold but yeah i mean you jeremy irons is the villain of that movie the entire time but every time uh Bruce Willis is on the phone and he pulls the phone away and he looks around the look in his eyes. Oh, you're just as crazy, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you're also cuckoo. Greg, what do you got? Uh, a lot of us have seen the movie master and commander far side of the world, but the series of books that is based on the Maturin, uh, the Aubrey Maturin books are so delightful. And uh, as I've been reading them, I've been like, Oh, okay. Like, Star Trek is not just a little bit based on these. Like many of the foundational ideas from Star Trek come uh, from these books. And it's uh, very swashbuckling, very much like the captain himself throwing himself into danger all the time. There's even uh, a book where he becomes an admiral and then he's like, you know what? I can't be an admiral. His best friend in the world, the captain's best friend in the world is the uh, is the, the first medical officer. So like that dynamic, which was in the original series and then also kind of tweaked in the next generation of you're very, very close to the medical officer that like comes from these books and the like very crafty, trying to outthink your opponent and um, coming up with uh, good maneuvers and, and ways to get out of situations. It, it's just, it, it's very much um, the actual swashbuckling on the high seas adventure. I could see Nicholas Meyer coming up with like, you know what? These are like, these are like ship captains. We should treat them like that. And then Gene Roddenberry from his cell where there's no sound yeah. comes out as this movie. No. Like, no, I thought of that first. He's in that little Spock chamber banging <laughs> on it. But yeah, I mean, that his whole idea was like, Oh, 
this is basically like like naval combat from the 18th century and then that 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 idea like basically birthed this whole movie all right cringiest moment uh 1982 has been full of them uh but this movie is woke as fuck because it calls the women mister <laughs> so is there a cringiest moment uh mike we'll start with you yeah uh we we kind of touched on anyway the the scene in the elevator where <clears throat> nobody knew what they were supposed to do and what their relationship was supposed to be and knowing Kirk's general reputation, but also knowing like he's an admiral. This is a lieutenant who is trying to like a professional setting, but now her hair is down and she's in her sort of civilian clothes. It was just uncomfortable. The expert, the movie didn't go that route, but the whole time was like, why even have this? What are you <laughs> doing? Greg, uh, I'm going to go with um, when uh, there's like, the movie feels like for a while it's going to engage with, is this kind of an old boys club? Uh, and there's a part where he talks to Scotty and Scotty's like, I got better. And it's like, oh, we had a touch of the shore leave, which I think is like this 65 year old man saying I got a venereal disease when I had space sex. From whores. Yeah, from space, <laughs> from space <laughs> prostitutes, which again, sex work is important. But just thinking of him engaging in part of it is, is not very important. So with like being like, oh, Scotty's got VD. That's awful. <laughs> Terry, cringiest moment of the movie. So I wasn't sure what context we were talking about cringe. Whatever so, whatever made you literally cringe. Okay, so there's a scene where um, right before, oh, it's right when the, they make the shields go down, they punch in the code on con ship and they make the shields go down and he's like talking to Joaquim or whatever and he's like, put them back up and he's like, I can't like his <laughs> his like his scream at that. Don't you think kind of like, if what? I could just put that back up, yeah. then I would just put that back up without yeah, even just, saying anything yeah, to just you? Just like a little kid. I'm so also like, super intelligent. Yeah, I'm working really hard, and I can't. Down and you're you know, I was just kind of like that was a little jarring. You know, his like, <laughs> especially as this oiled up. You know, like yeah. you know Chippendales guy, which actually <laughs> a lot of those guys were. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the, those those extras were. They had to be uh, beefy. They had to have dancers. Yeah, you want but um, space Nazis, you're gonna go to the Chippendales. Yeah, but yeah, that was pretty cringy. Awesome. Um, but it's going to go to Mike for that elevator scene. Why was that in the movie? Point goes to Mike. Figure out what you want your movie to be before you start principal photography. It's so weird <laughs> to watch them change what the movie's gonna be like at the 20 minute mark, 30 minute mark, and 40 minute mark because they just would have drinking sessions. Go, what about this, and just add it. Now, Greg, you are a uh, Nicholas Meyer diehard. Yes, you have dude. Seen all of his films, I have, and we already know you can name them all. So I'm an Oscar Meyer wiener. It's Nicholas Meyer, and I it, it is Oscar. The Oscars for the award, Ryan, which well, I would give Oscar, him. You want to give an Oscar Oscars to Meyer wiener? Yeah, wiener. Uh, but director's signature moment. What would you say here? Um, yeah. So sometimes we know these guys, and sometimes we just have to uh, like sort of guess. For me, uh, the most striking moment was when uh, Kirk just suddenly appears. And uh, if Spielberg had directed this movie, this would definitely be the signature moment. But light absolutely pours out from behind him in a way that says, hey, everybody, stop what you're doing and look at this guy. Um, I never felt the hand of the director so much on me as I did in that moment. Do you guys remember when uh, Uncle Clifford was introduced in the first episode of P-Valley? Yes, the uh -huh. smoke behind him and the yes, lights. that's that's what this felt like. Uh, but this was P Valley, and the only case has ever been true. 
was more subtle than <laughs> what if Kurt came out in like heels and like a full oh, face shit. of makeup, dude? How would have been so boss? The Things nails. are a little bit different. <laughs> uh, my director signature moment we talked about the military and how it sort of got the movie off, like the more the movie was sort of into it. And when all of a sudden the crew started working in tandem or almost like choreography, like this was now a musical because we're now all doing the job that we've finally done to do, the way that the camera moves around that ship. Is something that I've never seen from Star Trek before. Like it goes under and like they're all lifting um the floorboards at the yeah. same time while they're putting is that Spock's casket, by the way? That they're well, okay. They, they put Spock inside a torpedo. That's what yeah. they do when they bury so oh, what man. they're doing yeah. there is showing you them they're prepare, they're preparing a torpedo, a but also torpedo. Yeah, but also they're like, Okay, later we're gonna do this too. Chekhov's torpedo. But yeah, just like that was he felt alive and invigorated. Das boot style. It was Das boot style going on. Yeah, they're so showing the red alert sign interspersed yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah. And the, yeah, the, the bell that they put in the movie or the on the spaceship. Uh, Terry, what do you got? Director signature moment. Uh, I, I was going going with the same thing with the backlight of Kirk. That one, that's the thing I wrote down. But if you notice, there's a couple of other similar things. Uh, when like the planet is kind of like they show the planet kind of turning and the sun kind of like starts to peek from behind uh, it. Yeah. Ooh, the same kind of thing, like that. He does that like, two or three times also. Uh, in the movie so it's that backlit like thing but yeah that moment when kirk walks in i mean you know that's like bam you this movie's happening right now see if i had a if yeah. i made the movie there would have been like wailing guitar and then kirk would have looked over and in the corner was like a it needed band. a deep like you know e riff yeah. i would have had him like, out, like that jumping like out awesome. with two torches yeah. and like a whole bunch of wild animals <laughs> coming out behind him <laughs> uh mike beat that shit uh no. Uh it's it's I try to think of what felt the least Star Trek. Like what what did Nicholas Meyer bring? What could I not imagine? And it is that reality shift. And I think the the moment peaks at the Kirk, but it is uh Kobayashi Maru, everybody's dead, and you're like, oh shit, what a way to start. And it like <laughs> almost pans out and you expect to see like movie hands. Like this was all the movie they're making. Like and it just like <laughs> it pans out enough to be like, no, it was all fake. And then Kirk walks out there, but it's that, that like it is that moment where like you don't know what to expect from this movie. Everything could be fake. Fuck off. <laughs> it's all a dream, you idiots. It was all a dream. This movie is Ryan Johnson as fuck, huh? It yeah. really is. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure, dude. Like that would I, I thought someone might recommend uh The Last Jedi just because it's very much like I'm going to subvert your expectations about what this can be, and I'm going to show you that ultimately that can lead to a better thing than just always doing it the same way. Mm-hmm. And okay, so I have to give it to Mike again, not just because he was the last one and the only one I remember, but no. <laughs> uh, I do think that's so important for Tight me ship, Ryan, watching Ryan. Star Trek. You know, like I'm just a normal person who hasn't doesn't know about this stuff and he he made it compelling for the first time in my entire life yeah all right mike has two points in a non-scored game so none of those matter and they will not roll over into the next game uh greg pound for pound performance yeah we have ricardo montalban we do where are you going and if we did not have ricardo montalban uh, I definitely think I, I would have gone Billy Schatz. I, I thought he was bringing the heat most of the time, but Ricardo Montalban makes this movie excellent. I mean, this movie's flawed. Like we've talked mostly about how it's flawed, but also in addition, it is excellent. And part of its excellence stems directly from him. Such a compelling villain. That's so hard to do. It's hard to make a compelling, interesting villain. And I don't, I don't think we've had a bunch of them. And his performance is over the top when it needs to be over the top. 
subtle when it needs to be more subtle and constantly compelling. And it just, it causes so much buy-in for the audience. He's dictating how all villains not should act in Star Trek, but forever. Yeah. I'm seriously like thinking that like Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger, Jared Leto, all the classic Jokers, they're going back to Ricardo Montalban's performance of just being like, yeah, baby, just like let it fly. He seriously thought, I, I read this and it's like become so, it's become a trope, but I never I can't remember it being said before, which is he was like, oh, the villain is the hero of his own story. Mm. And that's mm-hmm. what Khan really is. And I swear that's almost passe at this point, you know, post Thanos, post Killmonger. But that is very much an original idea that he he sort of came up like with as a way to help him break out of his funk of being a TV actor who would only play one character for so long. It's not just that, but like if you're going to pick an actor like or if you're going to create a villain who sort of gets off after his evil things, like there's so many times where something happens and it cuts to him and he's like, hmm. Even losing, he seems to kind of like. He seems to be driven to ultimately be humiliated by Kirk yeah. in a weird sort of way. Mm. Yeah. Kirk <laughs> You got Kirk cucked. <laughs> Boom. That's a stamp. <laughs> Terry, do you have anybody besides <laughs> Ricardo? I mean, I was going to... For me, you, it was you Shatner. You could do Ricardo. Okay. No, it was Shatner. It was Shatner. And I think maybe that, for me, comes from knowing seeing the original series more and knowing what Kirk was like in the original series. And he was a little more exaggerated, a little more like, I can't believe how not bad he was. Yeah. He was, he, he really did dial in a really, a more nuanced performance, you know, that still showed everything about Kirk. And it's realistic, right? Because he's become a more stoic stayed figure. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can see him kind of like when he realizes when he sees Khan and he has that realization, like, uh, like Mike said, where he's like, Oh my God, all those years just come rushing back. And then he kind of, when he kind of gets out of that and they're on the planet in the, in the inside of the planet. And he's like, uh, he calls Spock and, you know, he's like, are you ready to beam us up? And he's like, I got caught with my pants down there. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, I'm pretty rusty, you know? And it was like, but he still got it. You know, so yeah. I, I the way he did it, it could have been really bad. It that, could have been really bad. And it wasn't. It was really good. His performance also yeah. showed that, like, so he elevated it, right? He's grown as an actor in the 15 years. And watching everybody else, you're like, oh, you still were like, this is a oh, yeah. Star Trek. Yeah. It was crazy yeah. watching everybody else. You're getting my TV bond. show performance, everybody. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. What a bummer everybody else was but these two. Bigger that, rivalry. Kirk. And Khan or Hank Hill and his Khan. Oh. Right? <laughs> I mean, more important. Leave to that me. to the listeners. Yeah. Oh, there had to be an episode called The Wrath of Khan. Right? <laughs> uh, him sitting on that stool, like regretting how he has just been an absent father for 18, 20 years, and then being like, well, back to Kirkin. And then just like, <laughs> Kirk's got a Kirk. That's, that was more than I thought that I would get from this actor who I had always only heard of just being like, oh, I talk like this. Mike, Kirk or Khan, or somebody else. No, I already just shat on literally the rest of the cast. So <laughs> it's, as, as I thought Montabon was f- phenomenal. I Nothing away, but I think the surprise element in Kirk and the subtlety, I literally did not know he knew what that could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. And Family it, it Guy did this away. guy right. Family Guy did this performance right. And like all of the making fun of him. And I have to say, uh, Chris Pine like does a really like uh, a tremendous like tribute performance to it like i think he really captured it chris pine's great but obviously that goes to greg yay so let's be serious here all right guys that is star trek 2 the wrath of khan 
Um, it's not eligible for movie of the year, but I don't know. I kind of sort of want to go around and be like, uh, let's talk about what we thought now that this conversation's over, because I thought this was, I, I had heard that it was the best Star Trek movie. And what I took from that is that it's a great movie. And I won't say that. No, but it's the best Star Trek movie. Yeah, it is the best. It's the, it might be just in and of itself, the best Star Trek thing like from just yeah. beginning to end right because like i don't know what you would choose for the the next generation what would be emblematic of that but like this is beginning to end if all you were ever going to get from star trek was this that's what i would want to show this is what yeah. i want to show somebody well for first contact kind of borrowed the same it, you know it was about the borg again right it's like yeah. the card reckoning this whole thing with the borg um but this just I mean, it's really good, man. It's just like it really captured the essence of Star Trek, you know, in a, a like a way that was not long and drawn out. It wasn't like too short in, in what's going on. It was just like kind of hit all the marks like really, really well. I, and I did think it was tight in a way that I didn't expect it to be. You know, yeah. like uh, I just some of the best scenes of just the three friends and they had to keep saying, like, I know that I'm your underling but I'm your right. friend. Yeah. Having Friendling. Friendling. Well, and I think that in a surprising way, it captured that military life in a realistic way. We're like, there's mm. some issues where you're going to scream at me and you're allowed to. And then <laughs> other parts of my life, if you do that, I will be so pissed at you. <laughs> <laughs> well, as king of movie of the year, you guys probably get that, right? Oh yeah, definitely. And then we have to go to soup plantation and just forget about it all. Cause we're like, we are totally like your Spock and bones, like uh-huh. <laughs> or eat your best friend. And like, we got to glare at each other every once in a while. I call uh, Mike Spock and bones. And then <laughs> I don't know what I call Greg, but con, I, I'm just going to call you con. All right. Um, this has some steep competition with acting as good as con and Kirk were. Are we thinking nommies? Are we thinking nominations? No nommies. Mike, can I, t- can I ask you what you actually thought of the entire movie? Yeah. I've been hinting around it, right? Yeah. I you're inscrutable. <laughs> Uh, if there was a two-person play that was Montalban and Shatner oh, doing this, I would fucking love it. Anything that wasn't the two of them, dog shit. Oh, that's very and I rough. like a lot of Trek stuff, and I I was shocked how little I enjoyed this movie. What a I, bummer of a time. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. That's harsh. That 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 <laughs> to me that makes me feel like Mike that for whatever reason you couldn't get into the vibe. Did you watch this alone or with somebody? Alone. Okay. I'm surprised because like I could see if you watched it with somebody else maybe like not getting into the vibe cuz you were like embarrassed to be with right. another person while it was going on. But I feel like the first 20 minutes or so it takes a while to get onto the wavelength, but once you hit the wavelength, I don't know that I was just, I was swept up in it. I totally agree. Yeah. Like that's the Wes Anderson yeah. thing that I was talking about is that once I found that wave on my little Star Trek surfboard, mm-hmm. I was just into it. And like, I had nitpicks through the rest of it. I don't yeah. think it's a perfect oh, movie. Uh, it's flaws are part of what makes it like kind of lovable. Well, in okay. a way, that's what people like. say about well, bad movies, I, but I think it's the, the, <laughs> because, because it's like the greatest Star Trek thing ever. And I have my own, you know, childhood memories, of other things. Maybe I need to go in again in a couple years and I won't have, it might be, here's where my bar was set based on how people have talked to it forever. And the whole yeah, time I was like, I've heard a lot this? about it. This? And then Terry, as a, like a Star Trek closer to a connoisseur, where would you put this in the lineage of Star Trek stuff? Mm, that's a good one. I mean, out of all the movies, I mean, let's uh, excluding like the new J.J. Abrams movies and beyond that, 
if you go into like the next generation movies and all that kind of stuff, even though I'm more of a next generation fan, this one, and you know, I got to give it up. Nostalgia is also in there, right? Like I grew up, saw this right. on HBO, like, I don't know how many times as a kid, you know? So for me, it's like, yes, this one is kind of solidified as like, if I had to pick out of all of them, that this would be the one to be able, you got to watch this one. You know what I mean? What, like you got to see this one. That's what society says, but like I have yeah. to agree. I don't. I, I don't know. So, I guess we'll see, Greg, if Mike will watch it in two years, and then we'll revisit. But Terry, <laughs> uh, thank you so much. For I wish we had been like a pointed show because I would have like whooped him with his oh, like weird, dude, tepid yeah. feelings You're about so it. I'm, yeah. I'm exactly on here. Yeah, yeah. I got a shout out to to the soundtrack. Like the oh, score hell yeah. was made the movie. To me. But also just the sound direction, right? Because there's just some like interesting sound effects in this that I feel like are are once yeah. again getting big in sci-fi. I feel like this movie helps connect um like Picnic and Hanging Rock sound direction wise to Annihilation sound direction Holy wise. Shit. Mm. Uh, wow. Also, I'm glad that we watched this so far into the 1982 season because now we're used to just constant overscoring. And what was this James Horner, like a young James? Yeah, Horner? and he did so like when the movie started. I was like, oh, this is a soundtrack to Kroll. And <laughs> and then I looked it up I'm like, oh, it's the same guy. And then yeah. he actually is notorious for doing that. Like his scores all sound very similar. Easy money. Easy <laughs> money. <Yeah. laughs> but also, yeah. I think it, I think it's hard to like say score a 2022 Superman movie when so much iconic music already exists. Yeah, and the way that he sure. folded the iconic stuff into his new stuff. So yeah. James Horner, half for bad performance. You're the winner. Uh, Terry, thank you so much for being here tonight. Yeah, thanks for having awesome. me, man. That was really fun. Uh, Mike Lesso. Yeah. I, yeah. I thanks for nothing, back. Mike. And Greg, you won you tonight. So. You know what? I did it, man. I, I, I didn't even know it was a competition, but I guess honestly, a lot of times the show isn't Ryan coming up. We have so many more 82 movies coming up, <laughs> including the 82 finals where Kirk or Khan could win best actor of the year for Terry, for Mike, for Greg. I am Ryan. Please keep watching those movies.